Today we begin our homily series on the precepts of the church in anticipation of the second coming of the Lord, knowing that he will judge us on the last day. We continue to learn about the precepts of the church because the precepts are the low watermark for us as practicing Catholics. That if we are not following these precepts, then we are not considered really practicing Catholics. So last week, we went over the first precept of the church, and that was to, to attend Sunday Mass and to rest from servile, from servile labor on Sundays. And I just want to go over a little bit of why the church has precepts. Isn't the law that comes from God sufficient? Why does the church have to add extra? And so there's a little recap of law, law being um, that which orders. We have the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, that orders our life on an individual basis, right? That this law will show us the minimum of charity, as St. Augustine says. But then, after Christ has ascended, he has given us the church, and so we don't only exist as individuals, but as we know, even on a secular level, the family is the building block of society. And so the church as a whole is its own person. So we call it the mystical body of Christ. So the church then has its own law, and this is what's called canon law. It organizes and orders the church from within. Now, within this law, the reason why canon law exists, not only for the individual members and their own sanctification, but also because a corporate body, a family, does things that sets it apart from other families. That the church has some laws that exist not only for the individual, but also to show to the rest of the world that this is indeed the church, that this is something different. For instance, that we abstain from meat on Fridays shows to the world that we are a different kind of people from the world. And so it is with resting from servile labor on Sunday, so it is with attending Mass on Sunday, and then these next two precepts that we'll go, go over. But recapping again one more point of, does the church have the power to give precepts? Does the church have legitimate authority to do so? And from the lips of Jesus Christ, we would say yes, if we trust in the Bible. That in Matthew 18, Jesus talks to his apostles and so addresses their successors as well as we know the bishops and says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is regarding the law that Jesus is giving the apostles and their successors to give new law. Why? Because Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And there will always be new things that are going to come up. New issues or uh, the furthering of the development, the growth of the church. And so a simplistic way to talk about canon law is the laws that Jesus would have made had he still been here. Right? That if Jesus never had ascended, he himself would have promulgated. And because Christ sent his Holy Spirit and promised his Holy Spirit upon the apostles that whatever they would do, the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. That the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit, given by Christ as the guarantor to lead the church into all truth. 
and that Christ says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church gives the church footing to make new laws. And so we have the precepts of the church that are bound on earth and so for us are bound in heaven. So the second precept then that I'd like to talk about is on confession, on the sacrament of confession. And the precept is this, is that we should go to confession, we need to go to confession once a year, if in a state of grave sin. Again, that's a very low watermark. But if we are not doing that, then we are not practicing Catholics. So to go to confession once a year, if we are in a state of grave sin. First, is confession necessary? Why can't I just go to God? Again, does God have power to forgive sins outside of the sacrament of confession? Sure, he does. But what has God chosen to do? How has God chosen to forgive sins? And this is important, that if we believe that God is a personal God, then he's worth getting to know, and that he's worth obeying. And that I can't just go to him on my own terms and say, well, God, you can do it this way, so you must do it this way. You must forgive me out of the sin of confession, because you have the power to do so. No, God sets the terms. And God sets the terms for how he forgives sins whenever in John chapter 20, verse 19, he gives the apostles, who he just gave the power to confect the Eucharist, to do this in memory of him, to take bread and take wine and change to his body and his blood, he then tells those same apostles, whatever, you, for whatever sins you forgive are forgiven, and then more importantly, whatever sins you retain, that is, whatever sins you do not forgive, are retained, are not forgiven. And so we know from the very early practices of the church to see letter James uh, to confess, where James says that we should confess our sins to one another, and then the practice of the early church throughout to the church today, that confession is a normative way of forgiving sins. It is the way in which Christ prescribed. And the reason why the wisdom, why Christ would do it this way, is not just to make things difficult. If anything, because confession sometimes is inconvenient, perhaps more people, you know, leave unrepented of their sins than would have Christ say, go into, your, into the silence of your bedroom and just confess your sins directly to my Father. It's not what Jesus said. But Christ still establishes sacrament of confession because Christ wants to extend his humanity to the world. That after Christ ascended into heaven, he didn't want to just leave his humanity to be speculated about for the next 2,000 years and into the future, however long the church will live before the second coming. Christ established the sacrament of confession because through his priests, he wants to extend his humanity. He, there is something that is profound and intimate about having my sins forgiven through the hands of another human. That Christ extends his human nature through the priest whenever the priest celebrates Mass. He extends his human nature through the priest whenever he absolves sins. He extends his human nature through the priest whenever he anoints the sick, whenever he anoints the sick, whenever he witnesses the sacrament of matrimony, whenever he baptizes someone and forgives them of their sin and saves them 
from the fires of hell. That Christ, the wisdom behind confession, is that Christ does not want to leave his humanity to be known for only 33 years' time, but so that the church throughout the ages can know his humanity. And so he gives the sacrament of confession. And also gives the sacrament of confession because we do not only sin against God. Whenever we sin, we sin against one another. And so we sin against the church, Christ's body. And so representative of the church must be there to absolve us of our sins. The second point that I'd like to make about confession is just to offer some encouragement. If it's been a long time, if it has been over a year, and I do have grave sin, just to know that both Father Broussard and I certainly err on the side of mercy. Um, Father Broussard told me this quote not long ago from the Cure of Ours, that I would much rather go to hell for being too merciful in confession than, to, than for being too severe. And that I know that I personally give very light penances to those who it's been a long time since they've been to confession because aware of the hurt that comes along with being outside of a great outside of a state of grace for that long. If I've been outside of a state of grace for years upon years, it's just a hard life lived. It's a hard life lived either fooling myself into thinking that I'm communion with God or knowingly being outside of communion with God. Because that's what grave sin does. It cuts us off from that communion with the Lord who is the source of life. And so just offering some sense of, like, of, I guess, comfortability there and encouragement that, and, and also know, like, your sins are not unique. Your sins are boring, you know? Uh, like, if you think that, man, I've, you know, it's been 30 years since I've been in confession, and it's because I've got this one sin that not even God could think of. Like, you're, yeah, you're just, you're not special because of your sins, you know? Like, they're pretty much all the same. So, um, don't think that the priest has not heard something like that, or like, because the priest has not heard something like that, he's automatically going to forget the words of absolution whenever he absolves you. You know, like, that's not a thing. So, even if it is, you think it's a particularly unique sin, that God still has the power to forgive. Also, it's worth then talking about of what constitutes a mortal sin. What constitutes a mortal sin? There are three requirements. It has to be grave matter, that the actual sin committed, the evil committed, is grave. The knowledge of it, that I have sufficient knowledge. I know that it's a grave sin. And then, or I should know that it's a grave sin, but... Um, but because of my own neglect, I don't know that it's a grave sin. By my own active neglect, I don't know it's a grave sin. And giving full consent. So what are grave matter? I'll just give a list of commonly confessed grave matter. Impure, unchaste acts with self. Impure, unchaste acts of a grave matter with others. Drunkenness. Missing Sunday Mass and Holy Days of Obligation. Receiving communion in a state of mortal sin. Persistent hatred and unforgiveness toward another. Slandering the mortal sin of another. Blasphemy, as in commonly done, angrily using the Lord's name in vain. And obstinate despair of salvation. 
So I'll just say that list again of, of commonly committed and need to be confessed grave matter. Impure acts with self, as in unchastity with self, or with others, drunkenness, missing Sunday Mass and Holy Days of Obligation, receiving communion in a state of mortal sin, slandering the sin of another if it is a mortal sin, persistent hatred and unforgiveness toward another, blasphemy, most commonly angrily using the Lord's name in vain, and obstinate despair toward my own salvation. These sins are all sins that need to be confessed before receiving communion. And so, which is going to lead up into the third precept, which is receiving the Eucharist once during the Easter season. That we need to receive the Eucharist once during the Easter season. Now that seems like, like a very, very low watermark, but if we understand the history of where we've come from with the Eucharist, then we can understand the law more clearly. There have been centuries within the church's life where the faithful did not regularly receive communion, where it would only be the priest who received communion. And that seems strange to us now because we often advertise the church as the place where, this is where the body of Christ is. Like we tell our our friends and family, maybe who have fallen away from the church, well, the body of Christ is here. And so I receive communion here. That's not the primary reason why we come to Mass. In fact, receiving communion is a byproduct of the real reason why we come to Mass. We come to Mass for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that whenever we offer, whenever the priest offers a sacrifice, what he does is he has to consume the object of the sacrifice, which is Christ's body that's offered to the Father. And then the priest can dispense that gift to the faithful to receive Christ in communion. And so the reason why we come to Mass again is not to receive communion. We come to Mass to make the sacrifice. And in making the sacrifice, then we are then able to receive communion. So we, in order to receive communion once during the Easter season, it requires that we be in a state of grace. If I receive communion outside of a state of grace, then I'm committing a sin that's worse than all the sins that were enumerated here, to receive communion outside of a state of grace. I'm kissing the Lord with the kiss of Judas. I'm saying that I am, and I'm declaring before the church, I am in communion with God when in fact I am not. Because the sacrament of communion does not cause us to be in communion. It declares us to be in communion, and it augments our communion. It raises our communion up. And so to receive communion once during the Easter season is to also be in a state of grace. And I have to be in a state of grace to do so. So all the more reason to recognizing that we are here at Mass to make and participate in the sacrifice, is that if I can't receive communion, to, to, to still come, to still come to Mass. And that it is a noble thing and a sacrifice worth making to not receive communion if I cannot receive communion. We also do this during the Easter season because of 
the tie between the Paschal mystery, that event during Easter where Christ raises from the dead and ascends into heaven, because now communion is the way in which we commune with God, that we are, in a sense, more intimate with Christ now in receiving communion than the apostles were whenever they journeyed with him for the three years of his earthly life. Because when they did so, they never received one, his glorified body, which took on the wounds of all humanity and made it pleasing to be in the presence of the Father. They never were able to be communion, to be bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, as we are in receiving the host at communion. And now, in being able to receive Christ in this way, we receive him so that we can be with him in heaven, so that we can partake of that paschal mystery, that we can um, partake of this resurrection and dying to sin and living a new life in communion with God and in his ascension, in which we partake of God's divine nature. And so considering all these things that the Lord is asking us to go to confession once a year, if we're in a state of grave sin, not only for our own salvation, our own individual level, but because the church is its own society and has its own laws, that we declare to one another that we are a people who says sorry. We are a people who says sorry. That's what we do. We go to confession once a year in a state of grave sin. And that also we are a people who hopes in the resurrection and in receiving communion during the Easter season that our life points so far beyond this life into the next to take on the life of the resurrection. So we ask the Lord can deeply embed these truths in our hearts, that he can encourage us that if we've been outside of the state of grace to come back to the sacrament of confession, that we can have faith in his grace to become the Catholics he desires us to be.